0: You're listening to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jarrett Smith. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm Jarrett Smith. Each episode, it's my job to engage with some of the brightest minds in higher education and the broader world of marketing to bring you actionable insights you can use to level up your school's marketing and enrollment efforts. This is the first installment in our VP Summer Series, a podcast miniseries focusing on the unique challenges facing senior enrollment and marketing leaders. In this episode, we'll be discussing the role of the vice president, how it differs from other roles someone would occupy on the way to a VP-level position, and what it takes to be a strong candidate if you've got your sights set on a VP-level job. Joining us in the conversation is Mary Napier, Principal Consultant at Napier Executive Search. I'll also be joined by Echo Delta's own Laura Martin-Fedich, who will be co-hosting each of our VP Summer Series podcasts. We start by discussing some of the unique dynamics that exist in senior leadership roles, and Mary shares her thoughts on the kinds of experiences and education that make for competitive candidates. She also offers advice on how to assess whether now is really the right time to pursue a VP-level position. Then we cover the basics of how executive search firms work and how to evaluate opportunities at other schools to gauge if they're the right fit. Mary was a generous guest and shared many insights that I know will be valuable for anyone considering a senior leadership position. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Mary Napier. Mary, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Jared, for having me here today. I'm excited.
0: Well, I'm excited too. I think this is going to be a, a great conversation. I would love it for you to just give us a, a little snapshot of your background and in the work that you do.
1: Wonderful. Well, um, I'm here as part of Napier Executive Search. Uh, Napier Executive Search was founded in 2014 and we work exclusively in the enrollment management search space. Um, I've done that even before we started working um, in with this company, um, 10 years ago, actually, with a woman named Terry Lottie, who is uh, uh, legendary in the field of enrollment management and somebody who um, whose values aligned with my own in terms of making sure that people are cared for throughout the entire search process. Um, Prior to enrollment management search, I was in enrollment management myself, um, I was an interim VP for enrollment at Manhattanville College, um, and then worked 16 years in, um, in a, at a variety of institutions. Um, and little known fact about me is that um, I did a self-designed major to go into college admission work, which is very weird. But um, has worked well for me. So, so that's that's a little bit about me. Our firm itself, um, all uh, we we work with practitioners. So everyone who um, is a search consultant was also in the field of enrollment management. So knows the kinds of questions that candidates are going to ask, and the kinds of questions that institutions need and want uh, answered. So I'm
0: wondering if you could kind of talk to us a little bit about how that role is kind of different. Cause I, I think when someone's stepping into that role for the first time, that's obviously a huge step in their career. And it's not uncommon for them to enter in that role and realize, hey, this is a little different than it looked on the outside. And uh, I wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about that for the folks who, who've never occupied that seat. What what are the things that they don't tell you about it before you get there?
1: <laughs> well, great. So I think enrollment management search at the chief level um, means understanding and knowing the roots of the work, of course, but it's a great deal of collaboration, probably more collaboration um, than people have necessarily done in their background. Um, So any kind of collaborative work, whether it's with faculty or whether it's with boards, whether it's with alumni, whether it's with outside entities, um, that becomes a big part. The other thing is that you become not just someone who can solely think about the recruitment cycle, but has to be somebody who's a player on the stage of the institution as well. And so needs to be deeply aligned with um, the culture of the institution, but also the culture of the other senior leadership uh, members. So that's a big part um, uh, and and typically a big adjustment. I think there's also that, authoritative voice that people ask you to have, um, when the day before, they would have listened to you, of course, you hope, but, um, but they listen to you with different ears, and you sometimes as the, as the person in the role will wonder, I'm the same person I was yesterday. So why is my voice either more or less important than it was? And so it's coming to terms and adjustment with that in both a humble but also in a way that allows you to step up.
0: You you rise to this this role. People view you differently, but you don't realize that they're viewing you differently. You're still I'm still me. I was just asking a simple question.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and um and Laura, this would be a part, you know, as someone who was in a senior leadership role at another institution, I at an institution, I'd be curious to know if you had some thoughts about that as well.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, it's a lot, it's pressure, right? It's uh, the pressure all of the sudden you are the expert and you represent uh, every bit of enrollment knowledge that your team has as well. And and folks are always looking for you to um, have the vision and have all the answers and also um, keep them updated Uh, the latest um, trends and and what you're doing and 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 keep them positive as well they want to know that that enrollment's going to come in strong and goals are going to be met and and um, so you feel like you're a little bit uh, part part cheerleader um, part statistician um, and and part um, educator at the same time
1: yeah you know I was thinking a little bit about this um, as in in relationship to our last conversation, and I felt like there were two words that that seem to really underscore the importance of this and one is communication and Laura that speaks exactly to what we were you were just mentioning is just um, super duper over the top uh, communication, very clear, very concise. But the other word is alignment and it's alignment with the goals of the institution, alignment with the uh, responsibilities and um, and keeping um, as many parts of the role aligned as possible.
2: Absolutely. So all of these things. And as I was doing my little bit, uh, my list there, it made me think, oh gosh, how does somebody know when they're ready? Mm. How do you know when you're ready? So you, you've been, maybe you've been in an enrollment like me, you know, I started right out of college and I, you know, I went back and forth. I don't know if I want to be a director. And then, yeah, I want to be a director. And then mm-hmm. it took some years to really decide. And how do you know, you know, how do you, how do you do that self-assessment? Um, how do you, I, is it a spidey sense kind of a thing? How do you know when you're
1: ready? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's all of those. I mean, I really do think when we're working with um, leaders who are aspiring to the position, um, we hear that they go through a, a bit of a period of discernment um, all the way along. Um, interestingly, I think this pandemic and this, some of the changes in higher education have provided some of those moments uh, where people are thinking about their own career, what gives them great joy with what they do, what gives them, um, uh, what maximizes the skills and abilities that they have. Um, You know, when we're talking with people who are thinking about aspiring to senior leadership positions, we ask them a series of questions about It's not a box ticking, but it is one of those situations where we want to know that they've had collaborative experiences, that they've been exposed to strategic um, vision um, or had strategic vision themselves, that they've set goals for themselves and accomplished them, um, that they've worked in deep partnership with others on their team, um, and that they um, they have that ability to be able to say, all right, I'm ready to reach for the next thing. Um, and it will match up with what their um, what their own goals. The other thing that, uh, you know, there's the readiness of the individual, of course, but there's also the readiness of the full self. And that includes, you know, who else they're connected with and who else it impacts. Does it Does a does a move from the role that they're currently playing to a senior leadership role um, entail other people in their lives, whether those are spouses or parents or uh, partners or children um, and how that's going to impact and as with anything great in life, you can't ever predict how that's all going to go, but I think. Having given that some very serious thought is a big part of of knowing your own readiness for moving moving forward.
2: I agree. I agree with that. And when you're at that level, there are a fair amount of uh, evening weekend things that are um, social, in nature, you know, there may be a board retreat where um, a partner or spouse might be invited. Um, there, there are different things like that. So, I definitely think it's a it's a group, <laughs> it's a group decision because <laughs> a lot of the time in these positions, um, the the partner can sort of take a, a back seat a little bit for priorities at certain times of year. I think that's really wise. So speaking of checking the boxes, and I love how you put that because it literally feels like that, right? It feels like you're checking the box. So let me ask you some really specific um, boxes to check. Do you need an advanced degree?
1: Um, in, in higher education, uh, when, when education is the coin of the realm, it absolutely is in your to your best advantage to go for an advanced degree. Um, I think in past years, um, enrollment couldn't quite figure out, people in enrollment and admissions couldn't quite figure out how to do that and do the travel that was required of them in the job. But fortunately, in today's educational environment, there are online options, there are weekend uh, programs. So while what you get your degree in doesn't always necessarily prepare you specifically for enrollment, um, someone who is in higher education should love to learn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it They go, it, they go together. <laughs>
2: That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I did mine while I was in career is what they called it. And it ended up being um, a, a, an advantage to me to do my master's while I was working full time because um, I did a, a master's in public administration and we were required to have sort of a practicum or maybe sort of like an internship. And because Mm -hmm. I was in career, I got credit for that. So there was sort of something that was, um, I got to skip over. So there was a benefit, even though it's a lot to work and do an advanced degree. And we've all known lots of people, lots of people who have done that. All right. So the other question I have about checking boxes is supervisory experience. How strong is that in the whole leadership skill thing and leadership philosophy talk about
1: that a little bit sure Uh, i i think supervisor experience is absolutely important um and and what is i think the most important is self-awareness of your own style um and how you think about yourself as a supervisor what goals you have set for yourself and for your team Um, All of those um, are really important elements. Um, And one thing about enrollment management, if you think about kind of the history of it, um, I I would say that enrollment management, when it was admissions, was highly relational. I mean, to the point that the pendulum was here, you know, as far to uh, far to this side as you possibly could have um, in relational. And then for a while, the field moved as far to the other side, the pendulum swung as far to the other side with regards to analytical um, skills and abilities. And so I think someone who is going to really be successful. Um, as with everything is if you can come to that middle where you've got the the connection between that relational supervisory people skill orientation, but you also can see the data and the trends and the understanding um, going forth there. Um, I would also say that depending on the level of you, the position back to that supervisory, specifically that supervisory box, I would say at that dean and director level, it's going to be absolutely essential that someone already have had some practice um, in hiring, mentoring, supervising, evaluating, cajoling, um, meeting people where they are. Um, And then at that senior level, it's important to see who around you also has those skills that you can effectively delegate that to so that your team feels both supported and fed all along the way of of the cycle.
0: And now for a short break. Hey everyone, Jarrett here. You know the past year has brought so many challenges for the higher education enrollment community, and if you're like many enrollment leaders, you're looking forward to being on the other side of census so you can finally step back and think about your strategy for the upcoming year. That's why Jeff Callay and I will be hosting Post Up, a free four-part webinar series for enrollment leaders starting September 29th. From search to yield to campus visits, Jeff and I will engage with Echo Delta's enrollment experts to help you come back even stronger and smarter than before. Visit echodelta.co/postup to register. That's echodelta.co/postup, all one word. I hope you'll join us. And now back to the show. You know, Mary, ultimately if you're a successful candidate, you you hope that you will get the opportunity to interview at some right. point and hopefully right. have a series of interviews. I'm wondering, you know, assuming you know you 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 check those boxes and you've you've done the self assessment and and the universe is aligning and you're like this is this is right for me how can they stand out and really be competitive during that specific part of the process
1: yeah oh that's a great question jared um really the the number one thing they can do is do that self assessment that we talked about The second thing is to research the institution with abandon um, using iPads using um, uh, common data sets for institutions and so really studying what the story is of the institution, but then also checking things like their website and being aware of what is going to be a top of mind issue for uh, for the institution. And so will allow you to start connecting right away with people. The other thing I think people can do is as they think about their skill set is to consider... What are really great examples of how I do that? So if I feel like I'm a strong communicator, where are examples where I have been incredibly effective as a communicator and allowed something that might have been difficult to explain? I've been able to break it down into language or break it down into processes that have allowed others to join in really effectively. Um, And so, uh, you know, typically when those interviews are happening, you're not the only person talking to them. And so to stand out is to find ways without using cliches of how you are excellent at what you do. So, you know, supervisors, please don't say, um, you have an open door policy just just don't say it,
0: <laughs> yeah uh, well, I was as soon as you said cliches I was like, ooh, Mary, what are the cliches <laughs> what are so open door policy check don't say that um any any other greatest hits uh team player maybe uh, yeah, uh,
1: team, uh, yeah team yeah team player with person. I'm yeah, people, person. Right, right, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, or I didn't grow up thinking I would be an admission counselor. Well, you know, true, but who grows up, you know, <laughs> thinking that they're going to be X, Y, or Z. It's just an odd thing. So, um, so I think the best thing is if you, and if you are cliche prone, and I am, um, <laughs> you t- you have to try to also think about, What is the really specific example um, that describes it Um, and without breaking any confidentiality or breaking Mm -hmm. any, um, any situation that would tell too much about the institution you currently serve? Because that's the other thing you want to do is you want to demonstrate the respect that you have for the people that you're speaking with, the process that you're going through, um, and the fact that you may or may not come out as the person they're selecting.
0: That's a that's a great, great bit of advice, which kind of sparked, I mean, a, a thought about internal candidates.
1: Yeah, it's, it's common that uh, at the institutions who hire us, that there may be someone who is either on the rise or thinking about the opportunity. Um, and so, how we counsel um, internal candidates is: first of all, we suggest that they think through the entire process. Um, so, think it through as if you are going to get the position, and think it through as if you are not going to get the position. And how will that change? How will how will your world be different, um, it, most executive searches will will guarantee confidentiality through a certain point. Um, and so it's important for an internal candidate to be aware of that. But, the, but I think for an internal candidate to really shine, they have to know the field, they have to have put themselves into that, that opportunity of this is what I would do if I'm it. Um, they have to own the process um, and they have to determine or indicate this is how I would operate again with um, a deviation from perhaps the way it's always been done at that particular institution. Because what that says is that they've thought about um, what kind of changes they would make or they have thought about what kind of opportunities are there. So. Um, I think I always encourage a, an internal candidate if, in fact, they're they're ready um, or or are hopeful. Um, but I also want to help mitigate their expectations to a certain extent. Um, because the reason that a search firm is often hired, even if there's talent internally is to make sure that they're seeking or they're looking far and wide that the institution is looking far and wide nationally, internationally for a candidate, who's going to be the next right leader for that particular office or institution.
0: So do you see it as being a a particular disadvantage to be an internal candidate, or do you think they really have as much of a fair shot as anybody else? How, how what's been your kind of experience?
1: Yeah, it, it's everyone's opportunity to win it. Um, but somebody who thinks because they've served maybe 20 years at an institution automatically deserves the right or the opportunity to be that leader, um, we'll will find that that is not necessarily the case. And so being self-aware is absolutely critical. Having people who can help speak to Um, be supportive of you, but also be realistic in terms of the skills and abilities that you're there. And that's oftentimes um, when we are doing um, intake conversations with candidates who are internal or external, we are thinking about the skill sets that are necessary that are there. And um, we've had conversations with with an internal or an external uh, um, candidate, and we've talked about we've asked a question that clearly they've not had any experience with and how they gauge what they know and how they gauge what they need to learn in a particular area oftentimes gives us clues as to how quickly they might move forward. Um, So, I mean, we've, we've had a couple of searches recently where an internal candidate has gotten the position and it's been just a joy to watch that person come into their own. Um, And we've had others where internal candidates have struggled to convince their colleagues on the search committee that they're the right person. Um, And neither of those are, um, the second one is not a failure. I wouldn't say it's a failure. What it is is just a reality check. And um, Laura, you've probably heard people say this before. Sometimes at institutions, you have to move out to move up um, and to become the person who um, brings a fresh set of eyes to an institution can be incredibly valuable at that particular Mm -hmm. circumstance.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think that's what we say in enrollment is that, and why so many of us have moved around is that oftentimes you do have to move um, geographically, uh, to to move up for those opportunities, um, that that's true. Back to your point about it's a it's a failing decision. Um, that's that's for sure. Hey, can I can I drill down into something um, that you you talked about? You said something that just sort of uh, caught my attention. You said confidentiality that these searches are kept confidential to a certain point. So I've been on both sides of it, right? Where I've been the candidate, and then I've been on the side where I've had staff members who are pursuing other opportunities. And I always wonder about this. In your point of view, from your point of view, Mary, when is the best time, and where is the responsibility around informing your current supervisor that you're, that you're looking at something? I, I think I'm thinking more in, out externally than an sure. internal candidate. Sure. How do you, in the spirit of let's not burn our bridges, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that is something we should never do. We should never <laughs> burn our bridges. Um, so uh, I actually advise very young admission staff who feel like it's something that they want to pursue to start talking with their supervisor right away. And to say, eventually, I'd love the opportunity to do what it is you do. And by enlisting them early on, you find out um, what are those skills and abilities you should be able to do. And if your supervisor isn't responsive, then you find mentors outside of the office to be able to determine that. Um, But I think that is always one of those um, situations where um, following the advice of, you want to control your narrative. And that's another part of of the whole search process. So controlling your narrative means that you're the one telling your boss, not that it's coming back through the grapevine in the very small world of enrollment management that you might be applying for a position or might be being in strong consideration for for the position. Um, and there are different levels, and we advise candidates all along the way because we answer the questions that are that they're asking us as opposed to because there's not a blanket um, that you can put over it and say, okay, this is what you should always do. Be, but you do want to control if you if you keep at the center that you're controlling your narrative in a way that you feel like you can live with, then that's the best thing. Um, I think you always want to give people an opportunity to react um, and to be supportive of you. Um, and to, and that that also comes back to one of the things that we've already talked a little bit about, which is respecting the process and respecting the others with whom you work. Did that answer it, or was that specific enough? Yeah, that was a specific example. <laughs> <laughs> Showing what I know and don't know. I, I was almost,
2: I was thinking about myself there for a minute. I I went into that the ether of a memory, and I and it was a little bit of a, a traumatic memory of a staff member who did tell me that he was looking for another position at another institution, and then um, I told him and I said, if you decide to take the position, you know. Please let me know before, um, you know, you tell your colleagues, because I really want to hear it from you. So he called me on my honeymoon and told me on my honeymoon that he was leaving. I thought, all right, that's not really what I meant. I do think this could have waited. But anyway, that's just a funny little.
0: Timing is everything. A good good cliche that's there for a reason.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And communication, right. under, understanding the nuances of communication. Yeah. And, and actually, you know what, Laura, that does circle back to that air of authority that someone who is in that boss or supervisor position may say something that they definitely mean, um, but they want, they, but they need more you need more, oftentimes, you know, yeah. more information.
2: So you're telling me that I need to own the fact that he. Got,
1: I don't <laughs> know. He was, just, he was just
2: doing what I told him to do, right? Exactly. Uh, fortunately, I love him a lot, so it was it was all okay. <laughs> and
1: anyway. it makes for a good story at their going away party, too. <laughs>
0: That's right.
2: That's right. That is right.
0: Good stuff. Well, I, you know, we've been talking kind of very broadly about the. VP role. A little bit touching here and there a bit on the role of executive search firms, but Mary, I mean, firms like yours play a very specific role in the process. And for those folks who maybe have never engaged with an executive search firm, I wonder if you could just outline for us what role do you play in this process? Where do you fit in to all of this?
1: Right. Well, uh, we're we're hired. It's important for people to know that we're hired by the institution, and we're hired for the expertise of the network that we serve, and understanding that. So that's the first thing to do. What I think a search firm um, can do really effectively for an institution is to provide an in-depth understanding of of enrollment management and that from our perspective doesn't just come from our own experiences but it comes from our day after day after day conversations with some of the best and the brightest who are doing the work well Um, hearing best practices, hearing how people are pivoting during the pandemic, hearing how people are adjusting to online experiences and what they're learning and all of that. So I think it's uh, so part of what executive search does is provide a realistic lens. What we can also do is we can disavow an institution that they're of the, of the, hopefulness that there is a perfect candidate for a position, but in fact, help them really kind of discern what it is they're seeking um, and hearing that through our understanding of the position and then making sure to feed that back even as we're writing position announcement and talking with candidates. The other thing that I think a search firm can do for an institution and for a candidate um, when they're doing it well, is to provide clarity on both sides. So people can oftentimes ask a search from a question that they would be a little reluctant to ask someone who is at the institution. So it could be about the genesis of the position, you know, why someone departed, um, why um, the position is open, what, um, what the goals are. Are the goals realistic? Are they something that can be conceived of, so Mm -hmm. so we we serve a variety of things. The other thing that I think, especially Napier Executive Search does really well, is we are incredibly organized on behalf of the institution and that assists the candidates as well, because our focus is making sure that process continues to move forward and that balls aren't dropped. As a senior leader, uh, whether it's a president or a vice president who's hiring us, they're keeping so many things um, afloat and balls in the air and juggling to to make sure that priorities are reached. Whereas our focus is on that search process. and, um, And so that oftentimes means that when you set a timeline, that the timeline is achieved. As much as possible and so the the institution can feel like it's an opening but it's an opening for a certain period of time that they know a a candidate will be able to fill successfully at the tail end of that so that that i think is is part of what we do and the other thing we do is we um, we cheer for both sides. <laughs> we cheer for the candidates who are um, being brave enough to put themselves out there and to make them feel supported that they providing them with information, because I think as humans, that's what we want. Right. We want people to tell us um, either how well we're doing or we want them to say, all right, good. You completed what you needed to do. Um, and then we cheer, of course, for the institution to find that that person who they feel is going to be a catalyst for um providing the next set of changes or the next set of success at an institution it's a great job it's a fun <laughs> job i i truly love it so
2: anyway. i i you know being on the candidate side i've I've thought about you all in those long days of um like first round interviews <laughs> cuz typically uh, a first round interview would be at a a what they call a neutral spot, right? Maybe, a, maybe an airport or a hotel. Uh, and, and so you're not maybe going to the campus the first time around. And usually the search firms, a representative from the search firm is there, you know, making sure it's all organized and that candidates aren't running into each other again, you know, the confidentiality, but, you know, I think I, I told you both, um, my embarrassing story of my first search, uh, in which I was a candidate. i naively so thought that the search firm was the executive search firm was sort of working for me. <laughs> 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 and I don't know. And I work with Terry Lottie who you, you mentioned at the onset and, um, and you're both such lovely people and so generous. And I I thought, Oh, you know, she's, she's going to help me with this. And she was very, very helpful, but I, it's important to know. I think that, that you all, you are, working for the institution but you will be honest with us Um, and then in being on the other side and being a member of search committees i've found the executive search firm representatives just to be very helpful to share little personal bits uh, about a person that may inform um, different things so i think a candidate also should be aware that um things that they share will probably be shared if, if it's, it becomes relevant and not that not, it's not like talking to a reporter, you know, where, where you're, you know, never off the record. It's not like that, but um, they are, you all are to a person very warm and open and and wise. Um, But, but it's a, it's a, it's
1: a professional relationship. It is. It is. It's important for a search firm to be neutral, um, but it's also possible for a search firm to be supportive of both the institution and the the candidates going forward. So, um, yeah, that's that's going to be the big the big part, I think, as um, as people are are walking through that for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mary, is it appropriate for individuals to reach out? to a firm like yours or to attempt in some way to establish a connection so they're on the radar Mm. for when searches come up well is there a good way to go about doing that because you you clearly are not offering career services for the individual right (laughs) uh it's very different uh what your world is but i'm just curious your thoughts on that
1: yeah that's a that's a great question and it 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 comes to that depends answer, you know, so it depends on where you're headed. But if this is a field that you see yourself rising in the leadership of um, just like um, people who've been in uh, who've, who've just started into the field and are asking their supervisor for support and assistance, um, there are ways and times to do that. I think the ways we find out about candidates first is oftentimes or two ways for one is if there's a particular position on our board that is intriguing to someone and if somebody wants to call and see if they would be considered for that um, there can be a conversation around it Um, the closer you are to the pin of of what that can what that school is looking for probably the longer that conversation would be the other way, and we've we've done this recently, um, we open up what we call career conversations. So, regardless of the positions that are there um, when our team has time and um and really bandwidth to be able to speak with who is on the up and up, who's coming up, um, is to schedule a 30-minute conversation there to just see how. You might be building your resume in a way that um, allows you to jump off the page, that shows the examples of the work that you've done. Um, and and certainly, anytime um, anybody from a search firm is talking at a public space, whether that's at, at NACAC or whether it is at one of the local uh, state and regionals, and giving out um, advice, you know, take good note of that, and and that oftentimes can suffice in many ways, even as the conversation doesn't happen. So I I sometimes think of, you know, people who, who I consider enrollment superstars. And I can oftentimes remember where I was when I was sitting and talking with them and realizing as they're talking that there's somebody I'm going to keep an eye on. And there's somebody I'm going to, and it might be for a month, it might be for several years. And, um, and so the, you know, the, the fact of, of developing a long-term relationship with somebody uh, in, in the search world is not a bad idea if you have the opportunity.
0: I wanna circle back to something we were kind of talking about a few minutes ago, which is kind of this idea of fit, right? And when I hear you talk about the role that a firm like yours plays, it's really about, it's, it's kind of matchmaking and mm-hmm. really, finding that that ideal is the way I would think about it, and, and finding the kind of that ideal candidate. But you know, fit is kind of a two way street, and I think the the whole process, of course, is I think by default, kind of oriented towards the institution finding the mm-hmm. right candidate,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but uh, and, and all throughout that process, of course, everybody's going to be on their best behavior. The institution's <laughs> going to be sharing their glossiest version of themselves. And all of the candidates are going to be sharing the best possible version of themselves. But at the end of the day, someone's going to get placed and then they're going to be working together and all the gloss is eventually going to wear off. And so I just wonder how, as a candidate, how do you um, throughout this process really think about, hey, is this opportunity the right one for me? Because it would be a real shame to go through all of this and then six months into the role, realize, wow, uh, these goals are unrealistic or the leadership team is dysfunctional or there's, there's, there's something much larger that I just didn't pick up on. Do you have any thoughts about how people can be smart about that? I mean, you don't, obviously during the interview process, you don't want to be off-putting with <laughs> just a barrage of pointed questions and, and that sort of thing, but you have to do your homework.
1: Right. You you do have to do your homework and it really is incumbent on you to do your homework and to ask hard questions and to figure out who the hard, who those questions should be addressed to. That's another role that a search firm can provide. So if someone has questions about um, the financial health of an institution, something that's really key, um, Mm -hmm. what we often do is connect them with say, the CFO or someone who will be able to provide them with that detailed information. Um, The other thing is that you want people, you don't want it to be a spur of the moment. You wake up one day and you think, okay, I think I need something different and I'm going to look at this. So you want to be pointed in your constant discernment about yourself and and what's important there. Once you're ready, then it's a matter of, of really, really exploring as deeply as you can. And the other thing I would say is, um, and I think this is an advantage actually that people in enrollment management overall have, if they're really good at the work that they do, they have to be, incre- they have to, back to that alignment, they have to be aligned with the institution and they have to make sure that as they're speaking about the institution that they've got, they can stand behind it in every way, shape or form. So if there start to be signs in someone's head that, that there is this misalignment or mm-hmm. it is not um, a good fit, um, even as early as the search process, I would encourage people to slow down, um, ask for the time that they need to be able to uh, really examine and explore that, and then um, and then go forward um, at, at an appropriate time. So um, know if you're if so if you're someone who's highly, highly risk uh, risk big risk taker, um, maybe put on the brakes of being a little bit more risk averse mm-hmm. than you might normally be for something that's as major as um, a move um, to a new institution. That in fact could be Laura. To your point, the ge- a, geograph- a geographical move or a, um, being somewhere where you're um, someplace brand new for you and all the ones you love with you. So,
2: I've I've had conversations in the last I don't know six months to a year, Mary, with with colleagues who have um, left positions recently because what they thought was just a perfect fit ended up after you know being there for a couple months realizing that what the institution had talked about particularly the the senior staff members and the trustees and the president uh what they wanted to accomplish wasn't necessarily true and and it was more um just talking about you know we want to be this institution, or we want to look like this, or we want this profile. Um, But it was more of a, they were, they were just saying what they thought they needed to say. And, and these people that I'm, that I have in mind, all went there because they thought they were becoming a part of a vision. And it was really, really important to them. And it yeah. wasn't as important to the institution it turned out um and and it wasn't I don't think it was in any case it was intentional but I, I guess I want to I want to put you on the spot and say is there a way that you can really put have a filter where you can figure out it, it are they genuine? Is this is what they're talking about? Authentic? Are they being authentic in their in their communication about the institution's future and the vision, so that you can align yourself? I guess I guess that's that's the point. Because again, all these people that I have in mind went there because this is their life's work, right? They really thought they were doing good, and it just wasn't. They weren't
1: aligned. Right. Right. Oh, I wish there was a magic pill for that, just like I wish there was a magic button for a silver bullet for enrollment, you know, and neither of those things exist. Yeah, that's, I know that is, that's a stumper um, of how to try to do it. I guess what the only thing you can do is to just keep asking as many questions as you possibly can, keep checking yourself to see if this is realistic, um, about where, where you're going, um, think about your own powers of persuasion and if you'd be able to change the minds there. And then ultimately I, but I also think it ultimately comes down to then assessing even midstream of where you're at about whether that's an okay fit. And so back to my point about what is failure, um, failure isn't an inability to do the job, but failure is an inability to recognize that things are just not going to work out. So, um, so figuring out how to, if, if you do find yourself in a situation where it's impossible odds and unrealistic expectations and, um, no one to assist in the process, um, then, then maybe it's not the place where somebody needs to be, and and I and that's absolutely okay too. Um, one of the things that um, we've seen a lot of recently, I think, are and and I mentioned it a bit earlier in our conversation, is just people taking time to think, um, and and things that once were taboo, like a uh, a blank spot on your resume uh, for three to four or 18 months, it's okay. It really is okay because all along the way, you're continuing to evolve and contribute and, and understand more about what direction you should be heading. Um, so, I mean, I think a success is when you look back and go, ha ah, ha, this is why this happened in the direction we were headed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what you really want to have happen, both for the individuals, but also for the institution as well.
2: Yeah. Thank you for that.
1: Mary, I, I, you
0: mentioned something you said, you know, more recently, some things have kind of changed. Uh, so having a gap on your resume isn't necessarily the end of the world. A couple of years right. ago, it would have been a big deal. is there anything else that you've kind of seen change more recently maybe as a direct result of the pandemic or or just something else
1: well i mean i think an inability to travel has impacted the search world in many ways laura you were talking about the neutral site interviews and though i think those will continue to be um, a reality in some instances i think the fact that people are so comfortable on Zoom with conversations and um and it helps with expediency, it helps with cost effectiveness, and it can have and it can be actually more efficient and helpful to candidates as well. I think we're going to move more in the direction of those early round interviews being virtual. Um, so I think that's happening. Um, the other thing that is happening is And this is this is maybe an opportunity that each person has is to say during this these past 18 months, um, what is it that I've learned about the way I work or the way uh, or what I value? And we've seen really philosophical people uh, coming uh, coming out of the woodwork and um, and some have come out saying, you know, I know that I'm better at what I do, because I was forced into a situation, and our whole team was forced into a situation where we had to, we just had to think differently. And so, how we came out of that um, is helping me write my next chapter, whatever mm-hmm. that might be. So, um, it, that to me is exciting, both for the field and for higher education, um, when you think about what will be the solutions especially for places that are very student-oriented. And my gosh, that's what higher education should be about at all times, that it should be student-oriented.
0: Do you have any favorite resources that you recommend for folks that are um, aspiring to these positions of senior leadership? Websites, blogs, books that you you recommend
1: to (laughs) folks along the way? Oh my gosh, I should, shouldn't I? But I... I (laughs) oh uh, let's see what are things that i love would love for people to be thinking about um, um many of the the organizations that serve enrollment management as as partners um, oftentimes have um, best of breed um, information um, so getting to know what each organization might lend to the to um, the field, I think is is really critical. So understanding the role that marketing organizations play with as they connect to enrollment, or what um, uh, search organizations might lead to, um, what um, technology partners look would add to the field. So I, I I think it's just a great idea to start every day with. Inside higher education, the Chronicle of Higher Education, and then making sure that you're up on trends there and then up on trends that are happening in the field. Um, I just to tell a story on myself when um, I, you think of our national conference, the NACAC conference. And when I was an admission counselor, first I went for the dances. And then at later on, I went for the collaboration, getting to know people. But when I became a dean of admission, I spent all my time in the vendor. In oh, the my gosh. Hall. I was just going <laughs> to say. <laughs> <laughs> because you're just learning, yeah. okay, yeah. who can help me? Who Who right. is connecting and understands what it is I'm doing? Right. And so, yeah, so... That's uh, <laughs> uh, hitting a chord there, Laura. I think it you know. is.
2: I didn't hear you say anything about attending sessions. But. Oh, oh, no. And then there's yeah. attending
1: sessions. I know. I know. <laughs> no, I didn't. That well, was you, not nice of, all, of me. Oh, but no, you can never get into the sessions. <laughs> well, that's you right. That's uh, right. You know, unless you're, yeah.
2: unless you're early and we're never early because. You know, you're talking to
1: people in exactly. the hallway.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and you get there late and you're like ah oh, here we go. Okay, well, I go. <laughs> sounds
0: <laughs> yeah. like an extrovert problem <laughs> to me.
1: <laughs> oh. oh, it is.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. It it <laughs> is. Yeah. I, I appreciate what you're saying about um what you know the technology organizations and, and the vendors bring to it because there's so much crossover, you'll find so many former enrollment people like me that are now with an agency or with a consulting firm or, or, you know, college board or NACAC or fill, fill in the blank. So there's just, our profession is full of just a lot of knowledge people. And, and I think one of the the spirit of enrollment folks is always about, we're so open about sharing what has worked. Um, I, I don't just, I just don't think you see that in many industries. Right? So I think you're giving some really, really
1: wise Smart advice. So um, I'm going to take that as a personal challenge, Jared, and I will report back to you. Um, Oh, excellent. And perhaps some reading materials. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Good stuff. Well, Mary, this has just been a wonderful conversation full of some just fantastic advice. Um, Mary, if someone is interested in learning more about your firm, um, perhaps connecting with you, what, what what are the best places to do that?
1: Sure. Well, we're, we've got a website that I think is excellent, actually. So it's, it's napiersearch.com. Um, and napier is N-A-P-I-E-R search S-E-A-R-C-H.com. Um, and then all of us can be reached. Our biographies are there and we can be reached individually through the email and that's you know email. And we all include our cell phones. So we're texters. We are, um, we respond to email, and uh, we are constantly keeping our website up to date with opportunities of, that we're currently uh, serving. So, and when
2: Excellent. conferences go back um, in person, when we get to that point, will you, will you, and your colleagues be back at conferences?
1: We will. We will. Um, we're we're definitely going to be at the national conference this year. Um, we're looking at a, a variety of other of the the both state and regional and other uh, levels of conferences um, that are put on by organizations. Um, we're excited to get back. Um, I love that you called us out as extroverts because I'd say <laughs> the biggest majority of the people on our team are extroverts. And so we're very much looking forward to seeing one another and traveling again and um, and connecting in pretty deep ways.
0: That's great I can feel the excitement I can see the smile for the, <laughs> on your face the, the glow of oh to be around people again I don't nice. know I, I'm, I, I think I'm I'm what they call an ambivert so I, I I do like talking to people but at conferences by the end of the day I just flop into my bed and I'm, I'm exhausted
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. that's and that's okay yep. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's
0: room for everybody. Well, Mary, thank you so much for your time. This has just been a a fantastic conversation.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Jared. Uh, As much fun as I thought it would be. And Laura, always a pleasure to connect with you. So So good
2: to see you and have the conversation. And it's been fun. I knew it would be.
1: (laughs) Very good. Thanks.
0: The Higher Ed Marketing Lab is produced by Echo Delta, a full service enrollment marketing agency for colleges and universities of all sizes. To see some of the work we've done and how we've helped schools just like yours, visit echodelta.co. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, if you have a comment, question, suggestion, or episode idea, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at echodelta.co.